This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Well, hello, 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 my let's keep it real people. I'm so freaking excited. I've been waiting for this guest. I got the book, but before I introduce her, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her because I, I, I wish I would have had this book. My son, let's see now he's 16. I wish I would have had a few years ago, but what the, Hey, it's never too late. And we tried a few times to get together, and finally, woohoo, it worked out. So here she is. Today's awesome and inspiring podcast guest is Carla Numberg. Hope I got it right. If not, she'll let me know. Her bio Carla is a PhD, is a clinical social worker, writer, and a mother of two daughters. She's the author of three parenting books. Well, we love that, including her most recent, How to Stop Losing Your, and it says, shh. It. We can say shit with here <laughs> with your kids, which will be was published August twentieth. Woo woo! I can't believe it. It's so exciting. I got the copy before it was even out. So what do you think of that? All right, Carla, how are you? I am so excited to be here with you. We were supposed to talk last week, and then my kid got strep because that's what kids do. Oh but my now I'm goodness. here. So let's just back up a second. How old are your kids? So I have two daughters and one of them is nine and one of them is almost 11. And God help me if I call her 10 years old because she's almost 11. Oh my God. So one is nine and one is almost 11. Yep. Two and little girls. And when is her 11th birthday? Her 11th birthday is the end of October. So it is over two months away, but... I cannot call her 10 years old because kids. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy how we want to be older than younger? I mean, it gets so, it's just amazing, right? I know. And I keep saying, can you not be in such a hurry to grow up? But they don't want to hear that from me, right? Yeah. They don't want to hear it from mom. Although I have to tell you, when this is the difference in kids. When my son was 10, he did not want to turn 11. He thought being 10 was great. Not much responsibility, you still, you understood stuff. You could go places, but you didn't have to do that much. So isn't that funny? He sounds like a very wise child. I think the reason my <laughs> daughter wants to be 11 is because you write it the same way, forwards and backwards and upside down and right side up, because that's what's important. No, wait, say that again? 11, one, one, right? So if you just write out uh, two ones, it's like the same, forwards and backwards and upside down and right side up. You can write your, it's just a couple lines, right? Oh, I get it. That's crazy. Isn't that like ridiculous? <laughs> it's the funniest thing I ever heard. That's so that's fun. why she wants to be 11. Oh, works for me. All right. So I don't know anything about you. I mean, I got your book. It's very cool. People are going to really, really enjoy it. But I I mean, I get what you, what you do for, do you still do that for a living? You're a clinical social worker? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And right now, I mean, I will always in my heart be a clinical social worker. Right now, most of my time is is writing books and talking really? about the books I've written. So 
how did you get into that? Were you a writer first or were you a social worker first? So when I was like eight years old, I told my grandfather that I wanted to write a book someday um, because then I would know I was smart. Because if you've written a book, that means you're smart. And my my grandfather kind of laughed because I'm sure he was thinking of lots of people who were not that smart who had written books. But then he told me to go out and write a book. And um, rather than becoming an official writer, because I think that was sort of too scary, I became a social worker because I, I love people and I care about people and I find relationships and family and mental health and mental illness, I find it to be endlessly fascinating. And then, you know, once I became a parent, I found my way back to writing because this is the hardest, most confusing, most crazy thing I've ever done in my life. And writing is, is my way of trying to figure it all out. Oh, I love that. So you were like, you were doing it, which is always the way. Don't we write what we need? I mean, come on. It's like, so healing, I say. 100%. I agree with you completely. In this book, I like it's pretty clear. I think what I was working on in this book, I was losing my shit with my kids all the time. And yeah. it's really been, you know, almost a decade long journey to get to a much better place with it. Whew. You know what? I'm so glad you said that because people think, okay, um, I want to do it. I'm just going to do it. That's it. And it's right. done. And it's really, I mean, it could be that simple, but most times it's a process that you have to work on. I met a mom once who was like, you know, I really felt like I was yelling at my kids too much. So I decided to just stop yelling at them. And I really haven't yelled at them since. And I was like, are you an alien? Are you a robot? Are you on drugs? Like, I don't understand how that, yeah. like, we clearly are not from the same planet because- yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I resolved that I was not going to lose it with my kids again. And then, I don't know, two hours, 12 hours, 20 hours later, I was totally screaming at them again. It was not something for me and for most people I know, it was not a matter of willpower. That that was not enough. You know, I'm so glad you say that because I think especially women, I, I don't know, I'm sure men too, we're so tough on ourselves. We think we should know how to do it. You know, we think we should be above it. And someone once sent to me, you know, we were working on something and I was like, you know, I should know this. I wrote a book, Train Your Head, Body Will Follow. And he was saying, he's like, Sandy, when it's your own stuff, your own triggers, everybody needs the right mentors, the right guides, the right books, right? And they have to realize that it's not... Just, most people, it's not just that easy, you know, especially when it's your own stuff and it's a process and it takes time. Oh, 100%. And we all, no matter how old you are when you have your kids, no matter what you've been through in your life, no matter whether you're parenting with a partner or not, no matter how many kids you have, you know, we all come into this parenting with so much stuff. And most of us aren't even aware of this stuff. We have no idea it's there until our kids show up and then the stuff shows up too. And I thought I had my shit together. I really did. I was like a professional and an academic. And I was that kind of person who was always on top time to appointments and checked the little boxes yeah. on my to-do list and did what I needed to do. And then I had my daughters and I was like, okay, I am really not on top of anything anymore. Like I got, I'm in this whole new world and I got to figure it out. And it was, 
I call it my Peace Corps, like my own little Peace Corps. It was the hardest job I've ever loved and also full of poop, which when I think Peace Corps, I always think about houses. So I feel like both jobs are very poopy. That's how I think about it. Really. I love that. I love that. It's <laughs> you know, it's funny because so when you say, you know, what type of social worker were you? Who were you dealing with? So I've worked with a few different populations. I've worked with kids and families. I've worked in college counseling. I worked on a locked inpatient psychiatric ward. So I've done a bunch of different work. I also come from a big family where I took care of my brother and sister when they were young. I helped out with my cousins. Like I helped out with friends, kids, like I've been around little kids. I totally thought I was prepared for this. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. You would think you're like, listen, this is what I do for a living, Right. right? You're making everyone feel a lot better, Carla. That is really my goal with this book, because I got to tell you, look, I love parenting books. I have found so many of them that have helped me become a better parent. But a lot of times when I read parenting books, I come away from them being like, oh my gosh, I have ruined my kids. I'm screwing this up. How is it that this other author, this other social worker, psychologist, whoever has figured everything out, they have the answers, and I'm like a mess over here. And I come away from some parenting books feeling guilty and ashamed and powerless. And I I did not want any reader to feel that way about this book at all. Well, you don't. You feel worthy. You know what I mean? You feel like hey. You know what I mean? Like you feel like it's okay. I mean help is on its way, but it's okay where I'm at right now. Like where you're at, don't judge it. I mean, that's what I got from it. I'm sure that's what you wanted. Sandy, you are, um, if you could see me now, there are tears in my eyes because that is what I was hoping for. I wanted parents to read this book and feel like they are part of a club, a club of parents who lose their shit with their kids. And I'm, I'm not just, uh, the president. I'm also a member. (laughs) Yeah. 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 As, totally. as my, uh, my mentor says, we're in this together. Oh yes. You know? Absolutely. All right. So back up a bit. All right. Let's talk about you growing up. What made you want to get into social work? Wow. That is a great question. Um, you know, I know I go off topic maybe, but I like to get to know you, you know, you are like the Terry gross of podcasting. You know how she's on NPR and she always gets her people to like talk about the hard stuff. And they're like, I never thought I'd talk about that on the show. You're like her. Um, No, I never thought of that. I I haven't listened to her in a while, but she is like that. She's great. Barbara Walter. Does she do that too? Right. You're like Barbara Walter. That's right. Um, Look, I I love my parents and they're amazing people, but uh, they will be the first to agree that I did not have an easy childhood. There was divorce, um, substance abuse, mental illness. It was very chaotic. Um, And I, you know, my parents did the best they could. I never doubted that they loved me and my siblings, but it was not easy. And so, um, and I think I also just have always had a proclivity towards being interested in people. I just, yeah, you know, it, it would never occur to me to be like a meteorologist or I don't know, a scientist or like, who cares? I'm far more interested in people than in really the natural yeah. world or anything else. And in high school, I took a psych class and I thought it was the most fascinating thing I'd ever taken. So I went on to become a psychology major in college. And then I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I learned about social work and it just seemed like a great fit for me. And, and it was, and it still is. And then when I had my daughters, I realized, you know, my, my husband works full time. He, he really brings home the bacon for our family. And, um, I, if I think if I had said to my husband, I want to hire full-time childcare, um, 
so I can go back to work full time. He would have said yes and supported that, but I didn't want that. I wanted to be the primary yeah. like default parent in our family. Um, and I think my husband would like to do that too, but quite honestly, he, he earns more than I do. So we need him to work. Um, and I just, I want to say that to all the parents that financial realities matter and they're important. And I don't want any parent who is making decisions based on their finances to judge themselves or feel bad for themselves. Like money matters. Let's talk about that. And so, um, but I, you know, I stayed home with the kids part-time when they were young. They were also in childcare part-time because if I was home with them full-time, I would have lost my freaking mind. Um, And now, you know, they're going into fourth and fifth grade. I do the drop-offs and the pickups and the after-school and the doctor's appointments. We really don't have any additional childcare. Um, and so that's why I'm not working full-time in social work anymore. It's, it was too chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you know, you're servicing a whole nother area and reaching a lot more people. That is my hope. That is my hope. And this is my passion. Like I loved writing this book and I love talking about this book. So I see here that you had other books, two other books, is it? Yeah. Yeah. This is my third. What are their names? Say it again. What were their names? Uh, okay. So the first book was called Parenting in the Present Moment, How to Stay Focused on What Really Matters. And that was really my attempt to synthesize um, everything I had learned in sort of the practice and the study of social work working with families and also reading the research and the literature about parenting and quite honestly feeling totally overwhelmed by all of it. Cause there's so much advice and that both of that book and my second book, which is called ready, set, breathe, practicing mindfulness with your children for fewer meltdowns in a more peaceful family. Both of those were really based on mindfulness, which um, has been a game changer for me. When I started learning yeah, about mindfulness, it's huge, right? Now. Oh, and, and it really, it gave me, strategies and insights that I did not have even after all my years in social work. And um, between you and me, and I guess everybody who's listening to this podcast, um, How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids is also about mindful parenting, but it's really um, for parents who are super skeptical about mindfulness, who don't feel a part of that community, who don't feel connected to that world. I have attempted to take the most powerful strategies for mindfulness and, and package them and share them in a way that'll feel palatable to those amongst us who are like me, snarky and sarcastic and, and don't want to be told that I need to like sit and meditate every day. Although that helps. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Totally. So I've had, you know, many different guests on about all different positions on mindfulness, but before we move forward, because a lot of what you said, like even in this book, it's just packaged differently. What is your definition of mindfulness? Great question. My definition of mindfulness is um, choosing to pay attention to the present moment in a curious and compassionate way so that we can then choose our next behaviors. And I think the first part about that, about sort of making this intentional choice to come back to the present moment, be really curious about it, be compassionate towards ourselves and other people, that's that's pretty common. I mean, that I didn't make that up myself. It's from yeah. John Kabat-Zinn and other people. The part that yeah. feels really important to me is that ending piece about uh, doing all of this so we can then choose, be really intentional about our next behaviors. And that's the really important parenting part for me. It's not just to calm myself down or decrease my anxiety or stress, although that matters. It's also so that I can then 
engage with my children in a way that's not reactive and pissy and bitchy, but hopefully is calmer and more intentional and and kinder to all of us. So, I mean, I know my view on this, but I still want to, you know, put it out there. Isn't mindful if you want to break it down, just really basic is you're more aware of what you're thinking and what you're doing and you're reflecting upon it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're more aware of everything that's happening in the present moment. And let me give you a couple of examples. So uh, my daughter takes after me when she doesn't eat on a regular basis, she gets super hangry and like out of control. Right. Yeah. And now that she's older, she has the capacity to notice this and tell me when she's hungry. But when she was younger, she wouldn't necessarily. And all of a sudden I would have this like screaming out of control, psychotic kid. And then I'd be getting cranky if I didn't remember to feed her. And so then I'd end up with this like power struggle with her about whatever, a toy or a play date or whatever it was. And I'd be getting increasingly mad. She was out of control because she was so hungry. And for me, mindfulness was about stepping back from that power struggle and taking a moment, not necessarily to hyper-focus on my daughter's behavior, because that wasn't actually the problem. I needed to pay attention and get focused on the bigger picture and realize that I hadn't fed her since breakfast. And it was now you know, past lunchtime and she was hungry. And then when I could get some food into her. So sometimes mindfulness actually means not just being in the present moment, but taking a different perspective on it. Um, Another example of this is, uh, let's say that you are a parent who was raised in a family where uh, your parents flipped out every time you spilled food and really lost their shit about it, right? They would like yell and scream and get really angry. So now your kid, and let's say you're the kind of person who actually isn't usually that wound up about these kind of things, but then your kid, like every time she spills the milk or her Cheerios, whatever, you totally lose it. And you're like, why is this happening? So part of this is slowing down and noticing that these spills are a trigger for you. So that's a mindful moment is being able to say, whoa, I am losing it when my kids spill. Part of it is going back and trying to get that bigger perspective. And oftentimes talking with a therapist can help about this, about why this is a trigger for you. And then part of it is in that moment, noticing that your body's getting tense. This is the mindfulness piece, all mindfulness, like noticing your body's getting tense, noticing that your cheeks are getting hot, that you're about to yell and making a different choice. Even if it's just to like, sometimes I get so heated, Sandy, that, um, I have to get that energy out. So instead of yelling, I sing a crazy song because I still got to get that, that like energy out yeah, of my mouth. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good idea. Oh yeah. My kids actually think that's insane, but it's, it's way better than yelling. Right. Mm. Sometimes when I would be in like a cranky mood or whatever, and my husband or my son would say, they would literally go in the garage and hand me my bike and say, go take a bike ride. Like go because I love biking and they would know that if I got out of the car and if that was my mood, if I got on my bike, do you know what I mean? Then the same thing wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be as bad to me. It, it, you know, just like you sing a song now you can't always get on your bike, but that was a great release for me. It's so brilliant. First of all, I, there is so much I love about that one 
that your son and husband knew about this and that you created a home environment where it was safe for them to give you that feedback. That you yep. didn't like bite their head off, like, what, what is your problem? Blah, blah, blah. You could just take the bike and go. And secondly, yeah. physical movement is such a powerful and effective way to dispel that tension because, you know, in the book, I talk about our fight or flight response that when we're triggered, it's really our nervous system that gets super wound up and we're holding all this tension yeah. in our body, waiting to freak out. The tension is still there. So if you can somehow move your body, that's a really great way to calm yourself down not just in terms of your thinking thinking and your angry thoughts, but really on like a neurological yeah. level. Yeah, I agree. Love it. I mean, it just, I used to say, I don't know how people don't work out. I really don't. Um, so for when my girls were young, I did not work out on a regular basis and I was an anxious, stressed out mess. And um, it, it was not good for my mental health. And now it has become a priority. And there are days when I don't get some of my work tasks done or, you know, I don't make it to the grocery store and we end up, you know, frozen pizza, whatever. But um, I can't really function without sleep and exercise pretty much every day. Yeah. And we're at the point now where yeah. my, my daughter will say, mom, you seem pretty cranky. Do you need to go take a walk? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that great? Uh, no, it pisses me off in the moment. <laughs> I'm not cranky. Oh, my gut reaction, 100% is still like, I don't want to hear it from you. And I have to train myself to take a deep breath and say, yeah, I think you're right. But it does not come naturally to me to to say, thanks, babe. I appreciate that feedback. Like my gut reaction in all honesty here is I do not want to hear that from you. And so I really have gotten better at taking a breath and saying, I hear you and I think you're right. That is hysterical. (laughs) I freaking love that. And thank you for being so honest. Oh, of course. Yeah. Like I'm laying it all out here. Let's talk. I mean, and you know, it, it would be really not so fun if you were sitting here saying, I wrote this book, but none of these are my issues. You know what I'm saying? That would be the biggest lie ever. And why would we want to listen to you? You know? Oh, right. Yeah, look, seriously, you know, it'd be like, okay, well, this is for you and I don't really yell and I don't have a temper and that's not my thing, but like, let me help you. Wouldn't that be weird? Oh yeah. And there are definitely parenting books that I feel like are out there that as I'm reading the book, I'm like, does this person have kids? Have they spent time around kids? Do they remember? Like, I don't understand. And look, what I say in the book and it's totally true is that I absolutely still lose my temper with my kids. And I think that is a normal, typical, fine part of being a part of a family and spending a lot of time with people, right? You lose it sometimes. And I want, I want my kids to learn that you can be in a healthy, loving relationship and lose your temper. Like that those, those are okay. That's normal. And, but when, I was at a point where I was losing it with my kids more often than not. Maybe it was happening every day. It was becoming a pretty um, significant part of our relationship. And that is not what I wanted. And so now when I lose it with them, it really feels like the exception rather than a really common thing. All right. So give us a tool for that. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So, couple things I talk about the book, Sandy, and you tell me where you want to go with this. One is preventing it, right? Taking care of ourselves. Because I really see a parental explosion as a red flag 
I don't see it as a failure. I don't think it's because you don't love your kids or you're not working hard enough or you don't care enough. What I see is that this is a red flag, a warning sign that something is not right with you, parent. Like you're not getting enough sleep. You're not getting enough exercise. You're not getting enough time away from your kids, right? Um, All those things. And so I talk a lot about what do we parents have to do? This is not negotiable. In the book, I actually call it the shit you have to do if you don't want to lose your shit with your kids. Um, so that we can really show up for them and be more resilient and more patient. And then I also offer strategies for here's what I want you to do in the moment when you've done all the stuff or you haven't done all the stuff, either way, you're still going to end up in that moment sometimes when you're either about to lose it or you, you are mid losing it. What do you do? So where would you like to start? We could talk about both. Well, I don't want to tell everything because you definitely have to save some of those pearls of wisdom for your buck. So let's keep that in mind. Right. And, and, you know, because listen, authors have to support authors I love that. and trust me, this is a book you can, you're going to want as a handbook, right? You're going to keep it. It's not like a novel. You're going to keep this as a, a guidebook. Wouldn't you say? Oh, that was my goal. And I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. It's like a guidebook that you go, Oh, let me, let me refer to this. Let's start with, you know, whether you did it or you didn't forget the self care. Yeah. You did it you're here. Yeah. Now what? So a lot of parents, here's what I will say to parents that is, is a shift. I think in many folks thinking, I think many parents assume that once they start to lose it or they're mid freak out that they have to follow through, they have to finish yelling at their kids, finish stomping around. They got to save face. Right. And I say, you don't have to, you can stop and shut your mouth or switch to, a, I don't know, cluck like a chicken, sing a song, say a silly rhyme, yeah. jump up and down, do whatever you want. You can do this at any time. And this is awesome for a lot of reasons. One is, you know, you disrupt this crappy moment, right? So you're starting to sort yeah. of break open the tension, calm things down. Um, two, you are modeling a behavior that you would like to see your kids do someday, which is stop their own meltdown. Wouldn't it be great if they could catch themselves before they throw that truck at their brother or before they, you know, slap their sister, whatever they're doing. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Um, and don't worry, you will not be undermining your own authority. You will not be upending the power dynamic in your family. Not only will your kids still take you seriously, but you will have a stronger relationship with them, which is really the only leverage we have later in life. I mean, you know, you've got a 16 year old in two years, yeah. this kid might be out of the house. And if you, I know, and if you don't have a good relationship with him, what do you got? Yeah. Right. So what I say yeah. to parents is don't be afraid to turn it around at any time. Turn it around. I get from Daniel Tiger for those Daniel Tiger aficionados out there. He's a, you know, that's one of his little songs. When you're in a bad place, you can turn it around. Um, we're still using that years later. Uh, and you can really do that at any moment. And all you have to do is notice, notice that you are about to lose it, that you're losing it. Um, and that's the hardest thing to do. Cause really when we're in that screaming, yelling, mad, out of control place, the part of our brain, that's like the adulty part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex that can kind of make better decisions, regulate our emotions, calm ourselves down. That part of our brain tends to be offline when we are losing it, when we're yelling, screaming, whatever. And so if 
you are able to access that part of your brain, which is not easy, but you can practice. And I've got tricks in the book for how to do that. But when you can get enough presence of mind to notice, oh, like I'm on the cliff or I'm in free fall, that's all you need. That is like the magic moment where you can take your deep breath, step into the other room, make a funny sound, do whatever you need and start to turn things around. Yeah, I love that you said that because some people feel like, okay, it's all or none. I'm committed. I got to go for it. Yeah, no, you don't have to. And some people feel like um, they have to know the exact right thing to do instead of losing it. Like if you're not going to yell at your kids, then the only other option is to be a perfect, patient, awesome parent who knows exactly what to say to get the child to cooperate or behave or whatever. I call BS on that. Most of us don't know what to say most of the time, and I think that's okay. And anything that we do from a place of sort of noticing and wanting to be calmer is far better than losing it. So stop worrying about like having the perfect thing to say. That's not a thing for most parents. Let that go and just try to do something that's not about like being having an out-of-control temper. I think that's an amazing idea. And I love the fact that you said, don't plan it out. Don't think you're going to have the perfect words like shoulda, coulda, woulda. It's not about that. Yeah, totally. It's not. Yeah. And, and and it makes it a lot easier. That yeah. Way, you know? And I think that this, this stress that so many of us parents put ourselves under to be the perfect parent, to always know how to respond to our child in the perfect way, that puts us under so much more stress and anxiety, which actually makes it more likely that we're going to lose it with our kids. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. So you were saying that one of your tricks is you sing a weird song. Yeah. Is that your main one? Is that what you do? Oh, I've got so many. Sometimes if the weather's nice, we leave the house. We just like get outside. We all got to get outside because, um, uh, just a change of scenery, like literally just even going into another room can be really helpful in disrupting a dynamic. Um, Sometimes, like this morning, I put a thing up on Instagram, a picture of me and my kids trying to make uh, shadows on the sidewalk while we were waiting for the camp bus. And it looks like this super cute, and I I did tell the truth on Instagram, uh, it looks like this super cute moment with mom and her daughters. And literally, I was just trying to keep myself from losing my temper because they were so snappy and whiny and cranky together the girls were that i was like i'm gonna make a dinosaur hand and eat your head with it because i yeah, really yeah, didn't yeah, feel like yeah. biting their heads off but instead of actually doing that i made my little shadow dinosaur um sometimes really when i recognize that i am in such a cranky headspace and for whatever reason i can't get out of the house or something and i cannot turn it around that's why god invented screen time sandy that's what i save it for i'm like Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we don't do a ton of screen time in our house. Like most days the girls don't get it. Um, They don't watch a screen because we we don't have time. Like by the time I get them home from school and, you know, I I always read to them. That's a thing I do. They need time to play. I need time to make dinner. Like we need time to bicker with each other because we do that. So I need to make sure we have enough time for bickering and getting through that. We don't have time for screen time before bedtime. Uh, If they have piano, if they need to shower, like it's too much. So uh, that's what I save screen time for is when I am so cranky that I cannot interact with them without snapping at them. I'm like, let's turn on the TV. I need a good 24 minutes to calm myself down. And that's how long whatever the show is on Netflix. I, I, that's just, I cannot believe you do that. (laughs) 
that they have that. No, I mean, I think most people, and I'm guilty of it, their kids have way more screen time. Yeah, look, I, um, that's great. Let me be really honest. When we travel, so if we're in the car for over 40 minutes, when we're on a plane, when a kid is sick, free reign, melt your brain. I don't care. Eight hours, cool. 12 hours, whatever you want. I really don't care. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are those times. And, um, you know, if it's, the, the weather's crummy and we're all stuck inside on an afternoon, of course I turn on the screens. Uh, so I am not adamantly anti-screen time, but really it's a self-preservation tactic for me because what I found through really painful trial and error is that if I give my kids too much screen time over the course of a week, it makes them cranky and irritable and annoying. Yeah. I think it's true for all of us. It's certainly true for me. And so- really. Oh, yeah. And I, it makes me sad, Sandy, because I love screens. Oh, my God. I love them. I want to oh, be in front you? of screens. Oh, yeah. I love my phone. I love TV. I love movies. I love all of it. And I really have to monitor how much time I spend in front of it because um, it makes me crazy. So we don't have TV on the background in our house. Uh, we really don't have it on in the afternoons, again, unless I'm losing it and I put them in front of a show. And then my husband and I will watch a show or two in the evening, some nights, maybe four nights a week. Um, but that's it. I don't watch a huge amount of, okay. The other thing, okay, well, if we're being really honest, I keep the TV on in the background while I write. I, I write really? in front of the TV. Yeah. I don't know why. It's a thing I've always done. Um, but I'm not I really would think that would be attention. the time that you wouldn't do that. Yeah, right. I know. I try. I can't do it. I cannot write without the TV on. It's. I've written all my books, my dissertation, my master's thesis. I can't read in front of the TV, but I write in front of the TV. That's so funny. I'm a weirdo. No, no. I mean, like, I need, like, quiet, you know? Like, nothing on. Most people do. That's a better way to go. Well, I am very, very proud of you for the whole screen time thing. Like, that sounds like a great master plan. I love it. Yeah. Because Save it for when you, the parent, need it. You know, it's just too easy. It's too convenient. And you fall into that trap, you know? Yes. And to parents who are in that trap, I say, I feel you. I get it. And um, it's a hard trap to get out of. And if you can do it, I think it'll make your parenting life a little bit easier. Well, that was totally something I didn't expect to learn. But I'm putting that down as a big note right here because I didn't even think about it. I mean, I know like you should be outside and you should be moving and all that. But I didn't think about it making you cranky. Oh, you know what I do when we're watching movies? Because I am obsessed with the Marvel Universe, and now the girls are old enough that I'm introducing them to, like, you know, um, the Avengers and Spider-Man, all those movies, is about every half an hour, I pause the movie, and the whole family gets up, and we run up and down the hallway, we go outside if we need to, like, I make, I do, I'm like a crazy person, and it is totally self-preservation, because if they don't move their bodies... They be, the minute I turn off the movie, they become psychotic little beasts and I can't deal with it because they're so cranky. And so I am like this psycho mother who does that. And it's it's like 100% because I don't want to deal with the meltdowns after the movie's over. That is so funny. Yeah. I don't know anyone that does that. <laughs> I, that's a great idea. 
Now, you might argue that perhaps I should just not show them movies because they're long and we could focus on the 24, the 45 minute TV show. But um, I don't want a parent in a world where I can't share Captain America with my kids. So oh my God. you got to be able to take them to the movies and watch. <laughs> right. So um, that's when we were watching a movie at home. That's how we do it. We pause the movie or. On the, like when we were watching the Super Bowl, it was actually on live TV. And so every commercial, I made him run around. We were like doing jumping jacks. Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I think it's great. I, I love it. I mean, now, were you always active? Um, Like intermittently. I mean, I sort of begrudgingly played sports in high school because I had to. And then in college... No, I signed up for a meditation class for my PE credit, and I thought it was total BS at that point. And that no, I did start running because the cute boys were running this one trail, and I wanted to find the cute boys, so I started running. Oh, there you go. To, like find the boys, and ever since then, I'm like a person who has to like really struggle to. Until recently, I really had to struggle to be like, I gotta, I gotta go to the gym. I gotta like do this. It never really came naturally to me, and now, yeah. Um, it's just become such a habit and I'm not like training for a marathon. I'm not doing, you know, CrossFit. It's, I, you know, I go for brisk walks with my audio books to keep me interested. I go to the gym and work out with my trainer. Who's this amazing, like 60 year old woman who could kick my butt five ways to Friday. Um, I meet up with my, my family goes hiking a lot. That's a thing we do a lot on the weekends and that's great exercise. So no, but I'm not like, yay, let me go train for a marathon. That is not me. No, but it sounds like you got it together and you're very outdoorsy. Yeah, I love being outside. I am, look, everybody in my family, it it all comes back. Sandy, it all comes back to like, what do I need to do so that none of us are losing our shit? And I would say that we are all in such a better headspace when we are outside, 100%. Yeah. Oh, I am 100% too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love the outdoors. All right, let's switch gears here. You ready? Switching. Ready? You ready yeah. for this one? Uh-oh. <laughs> what are we doing? What are you going to ask me? What is your greatest fear, Carla? No, no. no I'm not. Um, so, willpower doesn't work? Nope. What do you mean? Willpower is not really a useful thing. It's, it's, it's a muscle. It's not a muscle. You can, you should think about it like a muscle. And we use our willpower in a million different ways throughout the day, even making tiny decisions that we think don't require willpower, but do just like starting with get your butt out of bed in the morning. And by the time, uh, and, and using up that willpower, it tires it out like a muscle. And by the time we get to the end of the day, we're fried, which is why, you know, have you ever had that experience of standing in front of your refrigerator at night and being like, I have no freaking idea what to eat? Yes. Like you oh, just can't figure it out. It's because your willpower is toast. And so even the willpower to make that choice, which is why you end up on the couch with like a pint of ice cream, because you just can't freaking deal with it. And so that's a hard way to do this. And parenting, I would say, is is already hard enough. So let's not make it any harder. So um, instead of deciding that you are just going to sort of white knuckle your way through parenting, let's make it easier for you to not lose your shit with your kids in the first place. And so here's the metaphor I use in the book. I talk about our buttons and it's, you know, a metaphor for our nervous system. It is completely inaccurate, but it works. So when we are exhausted, stressed out, anxious, hungry, overworked, you know, we've spent too much time with our kids recently. 
um, whatever it may be, we're dealing with financial issues or annoying in-laws or whatever, uh, our buttons get big and red and huge and super sensitive and right at kid level. And if you've ever been in an elevator with a kid, you know what they do when they see a button. Yeah. They push, 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 or they get in a fight with their sibling about who gets to push it. And they keep pushing it even after it's been pushed. Right. So yeah. that's basically what you are to your child when you are triggered, when you're stressed out, exhausted, whatever. You're this giant red button. And I seriously, Sandy, I have been so triggered that my kids walk in the room and I, I almost lose it because I just can't even deal with being around them. And they didn't do anything wrong. They just walked in yeah. the room. So what I really want parents to think about for this book is how do we get your buttons smaller and dimmer and less sensitive? So when your kid comes up to you with their finger out, there's nothing for them to push, right? And so, yeah. and it may be either it's that same normal kid behavior that usually irritates you and you're just not reacting to it. Or it may be that they come looking to irritate you or antagonize you or get you going. Maybe because they're exhausted or tired or stressed or overwhelmed or scared and they're trying to get your attention so that you'll engage with them and help them feel better. But either way, you're not going to take the bait because your buttons are chill and you know, they're, so they're looking to push your buttons and they're not going to be pushed. So Again, this is different from willpower, which is like, I am just going to like grin and bear it and fight my way through this. This is like, I'm going to get myself into such a good headspace that I can show up and be present for whatever my kid needs. And look. Yeah, I love that. This And look, no, I, I really want to be clear with your listeners. No parent can do this all the time. You don't have to do this all the time to be a good parent. And in fact, one of the, I have a whole chapter in the book about spending less time with your kids if you need to. So yeah. I'm not saying you have to be 100% present with your child and happy and patient and engaged and responsive at all times. That is not possible. But I'm saying, let, could, we, like, could we get to a place more often than not where either you, you don't lose it or you catch yourself before you do? You know, this advice doesn't even just apply to your children. It applies generally in life. And everything. A hundred percent. I mean, think about, I'm not going to name any names, but think about all the people out there sending out tweets that they don't need to be sending out. Or, you know, you as a, a, anybody as a person out there, when was the last time you shot off an email or a text message or a social media post that you probably shouldn't have sent, right? That is yep. essentially the like online equivalent of losing it. And it causes problems. And yeah, when yeah. was the last time you, you lost it with a family member, made some snarky comment or shouted at a, you know, your sibling um, in a way that wasn't helpful? So yes, this is really about losing it with your kids, but it applies to every situation. Yeah. I mean, you're, and I love that you said this is not foolproof. You know, I always say to people, even with, you know, what I go about with, you know, in the health and wellness field, I say it just lessens it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it lessens it. You catch it quicker. It's not, you're not a robot. You have to remind yourself of that. And I think that's a big thing because we beat ourselves up and we get angry at ourselves. We Like, I don't know about you, but there's many times that I'll say I should have known better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I should know better. Yeah. You know, and we get angry and disappointed in ourselves. I mean, I don't know about you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the queen of that. Look, we all are. And that 
that anger and disappointment. And when we, you know, I, I, I used to get this really intense internal dialogue narrative in my head about what a crappy mom I was. And I don't know, I guess I thought I was like the mean, but lovable football coach. who was like really awful to his players, but then at the end of the day, like saved them, except for there was no lovable part. I was just being mean to myself. And I somehow thought that was going to make me a better parent, but (laughs) surprise, that's actually a huge trigger. Berating yourself and judging yourself makes those buttons big and bright and red. Your kids come along and you lose it with them. And so, I mean, it was so bad, Sandy, that I can, I can literally tell you the moment, the very first time, what I was doing, where I was standing, where my kids were, when the thought popped into my head, I'm a good mother. And I will tell you, it was five years after my first daughter was born. Five years. It took me five years to have that thought. And it took practice in mindfulness and compassion. And then all of a sudden one day the thought popped in my mind and it was so mind blowing that I still remember it almost six years later. And so a a big part of the book that I talk about a lot is compassion and how, how, what compassion is, how to practice it and all the ways in which it makes parenting easier and more fun and makes it less likely that we will explode at our children. You know, amen, sister. (laughs) That's all I have to say is amen, sister. And I think that there's probably a a lot of moms out there that constantly have to remind themselves, you know, that they're a good mom. You know, don't you think? Oh, all of us. Because it, it, look, this is a job where it's not like we get a performance review. Thank God. Thank God our kids can't give us performance reviews. Yeah. But there's there's nobody out there really in a consistent way. I mean, ideally, in my fantasy world, every parent would have a partner or a friend or family members or a pediatrician or somebody who's showing up for them on a regular basis and saying, you're doing a good job at this. But I know for many parents, that's not the reality. And we're not going to get that feedback from our kids. And when they do give you that moment of saying, mommy, I really love you or mommy, thank you. Oh man, I grab that and I hold it so tight. And so um, it's, it's, it is hard to keep remembering that you're a good parent if you're not getting that feedback from somebody else. And so another thing I talk about in the book is how can you find the support? How can you find people in your life that will help you feel more confident and calm and empowered um, yeah. in your parenting as opposed to sort of confused and ashamed? Because if we can't give ourselves that feedback of I'm a good parent, we got to find the people in our life who can do it. And we need to be that thing for other people. So I try to say that to my friends and to my husband. I think you're a great parent and I'm really glad to be parenting with you because we all need to hear it. Wouldn't that be nice? I love that. I try to say it to my husband a lot. I hope he hears it. I try to say, I think you're actually a really great dad and I'm really glad to be raising these kids with you. Does he say it back? He doesn't say it as often as I'd like because it's not his love language. But you know, you know yeah. what? The, I'm, I'm all about the love languages these days. My love language is tacos, and he feeds me, and so like that is how I know. Wait, your love language is tacos? <laughs> I mean, there's other love languages, but I look. I I don't. I cook. love tacos. I love tacos. Who doesn't love tacos? My kids love tacos. We all love tacos. Yeah. So look, I don't cook. I don't enjoy cooking. And my husband is a phenomenal cook. So one of the ways, like he takes care of our family in these amazing ways. Um, And so uh, he doesn't say it to me all the time, but I know, I know he feels it. It's just, you know, yeah. yeah. You know what? 
I love the love language. I, I haven't heard that in a while, but it's true. You know, and we're, that's, that could be a whole nother podcast, but people show love in different ways. And when you expect people to show love the way you do, you get disappointed because everyone shows it in different ways. Oh, yeah. Like if it was up to me, I would just walk around saying to everybody, I love you all the time. And yeah, Sandy, I just love you. I love this podcast. I love this conversation. Yeah. I love you. But yeah. my husband, he that that is not super meaningful to him. And in terms of hearing it or saying it back. And so, you know, I didn't even know what this love language thing was. And he came home from work one day talking about it. And I was like, how come, first of all, how come tacos is not an official love language? Let's work on that. And secondly, this is actually awesome. And I started to understand him better. Ah, good point there, young lady. Good point. Thank you. Thank you. All right, moving on. You ready? Because we got to, I want to make sure we get everything in. Yeah. So, I'm going through your your main points here, right? And I always ask people before you come on, like I ask, you know, viewers, listeners for a couple questions. And most of them we've actually, we've answered, you know, throughout our conversation. Nice. But is there ever a point, someone said, like you said, like how do you know when you're use, losing your shit too much? Like you mentioned that. But, you know, it's, it, I guess it's an individual thing, but you know, when you were saying, don't be disappointed, don't be upset. When is it that, you know, okay, maybe I need help here because I'm losing my shit too much. Yeah. That's this, the question. Oh man, this is a great question. Such an important one. I would say there's a few ways we can know. One is if you are losing it with your kids every day or more days than not, I would say that that is something you might want to start paying attention to and try to notice, am I going through something particularly challenging right now, really stressful yeah. with work or family or health or whatever? And is this likely to pass? Or is this something that you know has become a really dominant um, aspect of my relationship with my kids? So if you are losing it more often than not with your children or every day, I would really suggest that you know you may need additional help beyond what's in my book. Um, the, okay. the other one is if people are giving you feedback and man, that is hard to hear. Uh, nobody wants to hear that. I'm not particularly good at taking that feedback. It's been something I've had to really work on, but if people are starting yeah. to say to you like a parenting partner or someone else expressing concern, please do what you can take a deep breath, step back and try to hear what they're saying. Cause it may be important. The third one is if, if you're using any sort of physical intervention with your children, if you are hitting them or slapping them, yeah. uh, that that needs to stop. And, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Yeah. Like it could be any of us. And I have read, I can't even tell you how many parenting books I've read where I get halfway through the book and the, the author discloses that they hit their kid. And I was like, oh, man, why didn't you start with that? Like, why do you, and I know why we bury it because we're ashamed of it, but I want, yeah, I, yeah, oh, yeah. I wish more parents could come out and say, this is something I struggled with and I got help and I, I worked on it because it is such a deeply shameful thing. Like everybody talks about losing their shit with their kids and most people mean yelling. And so people aren't acknowledging yeah. that there are folks, there are many parents out there who get so dysregulated that they hit their child. And um, this is something that if, if you are struggling with it, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It means you don't have enough support and resources. You don't have the help you need to be the kind of parent you can be. 
And I would really yeah. encourage you to do whatever you have to do as soon as possible to um, get to a place where you're not hitting your child anymore. Very good point. Very, very good point. And I think that pretty much answers it. Even on the lighter note, if like, if you think you're losing your shit more times than not, y- you know, that's not a good thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Don't, it's not feeling bad or good, but you, you need some outside guidance to help you. All right. Good answer, Carla. All right. Number, (laughs) number two, who is somebody in your life that you think is an awesome parent besides yourself? How much time do I have? Oh, so there's a lot. Oh my gosh. I, and Oh, I like my husband is an awesome parent. Um, my sister is an awesome parent. I have so many friends that are awesome parents and they all inspire me. You know what I think, Sandy, too? Every time I go to a place like the aquarium or an amusement park, I look around at all these parents and they've got like their backpacks and the strollers and the kids are having meltdowns and the parents are like working so hard. And I'm like, look at all these awesome parents. This is not yeah. fun for parents, right? I, like I, given a choice, I would rather be on my back porch with a good book and a cup of coffee than go to the freaking like ch- children's museum. And I think about all these parents who put forth the time and the money and the energy to get their kid out of the house, to have this experience at the be- beach or the water park or wherever. And literally, this is what I think every time. Look at these awesome parents. I love that. I'm overwhelmed by it because- it is just getting your kid out for a day activity is so hard. It is so hard. Yeah. No, you're right. And that's so nice that you really embrace how many great parents there are and that you admire people even at a distance. Oh yeah. And none of us are at our best when we're out parenting in public. And I still am like, and, and to, and to those of you who are like, Oh my God, I have not taken my kids out on an outing in months. You are also an awesome parent. Like there's so, there, you know, there are so many different ways to be a great parent. And this is, this is the yeah. thing I tell parents all the time. If you are talking to a person or listening to a podcast or reading a parenting book or a magazine or an online article, and it makes you think that there is only one good way, one way to be a good parent, put it down, walk away, shut it off. Don't buy it. There are a million ways yeah. to be a good parent and you got to find the one that's the right match for you and your kids. Uh, that really was my third question, which is, you know, is there like multiple ways to be a great parent and your viewpoint? And I, I love that you said that, which we all know there is there. I mean, come on. Do you ever go in a room with a bunch of women and there's a problem with the kid and all like there's 10 women and they all have 10 different ways to handle it. Right. Yeah. And they're all look are there like less awesome ways to handle any given situation? Absolutely. And that's fine. Like that's part of life, but there are as many ways to be a good parent as there are combinations of parents and children. Um, And parenting is going to feel a whole lot easier and more fun when you find the way that makes sense for you and your family and who's in your family and how much money you have and how much time you have and what your cultural or religious beliefs are, just what you like to do. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a big difference. Well, Carla, it's been so much fun. I'm so glad. By the way, before we go, where do you live? I live right outside of Boston. Oh. Yeah. I was just up there for the first time uh, last year. I loved it. I love it. It's a great place to raise kids. It's a great place to raise kids. 
Yeah. So how far are you from Boston? Uh, depends on the traffic. Uh, 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning, I could make it into Boston in like 12 minutes. Any other time, it's like 45 minutes. No, oh, I love that. 4 a.m. on a Sunday. There you go. Yeah. yeah. That's like me from Philadelphia, you know? Right. I can make it in in 25 minutes, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. You're funny. All right, Carla, before we wrap it up with this parenting thing, and I'm so glad we did this because I haven't had something like this. I mean, I have had a lot of topics, but I can't remember the last time I had something about kids. Is there anything that we didn't get in that you want to get in? Anything that I forgot you want to say? You know, if I want to leave parents with one idea, it's to come back to this compassion thing. Parenting is hard and you will screw it up and I will screw it up. And that's okay. That's part of the deal. And the best thing we can do is cut ourselves some slack. Remember that this parenting gig is hard for everyone, that nobody gets it right all the time and that it's okay. It's okay. Every moment, every day is another chance to begin again. I think you are terrific. I wish (laughs) we were really sitting having coffee together for real. I would love that. Yeah. Have you been to Philly? Honestly? No, I've never been. I grew up out West and I've never, is that true? I think that's true. If I, no, I've been outside. I've been to other places in Pennsylvania. I don't think I've ever been to Philadelphia. Isn't that horrible? Really? Now, where did you grow up? I grew up in New Mexico and in California. Ah. So like I'm a West Coast girl transplanted to the East Coast and I've sort of missed a big chunk of the middle of the country. I got to get to it. Well, wait, when did you move to Boston area? After college, so 2000. I graduated from college in 98 and I moved here in 2000. Oh, all right. We'll give you some time. Hey, That's okay. Cut me some slack here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're good. All right, people, for Let's Keep It Real, this was for men and women. We decided we were going to put it on Positive Bitch Lady, but we thought, you know, dads, moms, everyone could benefit from this. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget how to stop losing your shit with your kids. Go out and buy it. And until next time, you know what I'm going to say. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.